0: Open your Bibles to the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We'll look for our scripture reading this morning from Matthew chapter 2 appreciate you coming out this morning. I know that several of you uh, made extra effort to be here, and God bless you for that. I pray that God does bless you for that in, in worship. I know that some of you have crawled out of your Snuggie for the first time in three days to be here. Some of you were tempted to bring it along, and that would have been okay. My son would have loved to be sitting in his right now. Uh, he got a new Snuggie for Christmas. Wade says that a Snuggie is perfect if you're wearing nothing but boxer shorts underneath. Uh, he says it gets pretty hot. Warren wears his backwards. You know, y'all know that about Warren. Warren wears his snuggie. Backwards, so he can regulate his own temperature. Uh, You just have to do it your own way. Christmas is an odd time. David Brown earlier in our, in our prayer time mentioned the fact that there are many people that find Christmas very, very difficult, and, uh, and I think I understand that. I believe that some of you do as well. It's interesting, for all of the joy, for all of the prettiness of the season, even this white Christmas, for all of the beauty of that, there's some people who find this season very, very difficult. And honestly, I can be one of those people. I'm a little bit, uh, I tend toward depression sometimes anyway, and I can have feelings all mixed up at once. I can feel great joy for the Christ child and great joy for the beauty of Christmas, but sometimes Christmas also just brings a kind of of sadness along with it. I I mention that because I think you need to understand that there's something ingredient in the Christmas story about that very fact, that the emotions come all sort of mixed up. You never really get to separate the joy from the sorrow and the happiness from the difficulty. It's just all there, and it's definitely a part of the story. Matthew chapter 2 is our scripture for today. I want you to open your Bible and follow along with me. I want you to realize that this is the Christmas story, and this is definitely our story as well. What we learn from Matthew chapter 2 is that you make your way to Bethlehem, but sooner or later you still wind up in Egypt. And it's a difficult but wonderful part of the story. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so follow along with me in your scriptures. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place, the house, it says, where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. All of the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph In Egypt, get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are now dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. It's just something about this chapter, and honestly, a lot of what you see in this chapter, you've also seen portrayed in Christmas pageants, you've seen it perhaps pictured on Christmas cards, but but honestly, you've never seen it pictured the way the scripture tells the story here. It's interesting, but it's important, and I don't want you to miss this part of the story because this part of the story tells us something important about our lives. You'll notice that, that, of course, this is the Emmanuel moment in all of history when God is with us. God himself steps down, puts on human flesh, and comes to be with us. And it is the most wonderful fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies and one of the most amazing realizations of God's eternal plan to save us. Jesus is born. In this moment, God is doing what God had intended to do from the very beginning, and it is thrilling, and it is amazing, and it is what what we celebrate at Christmas. Everybody knows that. But we simply forget or we deny what the scripture says right here. And it's difficult. And really only Matthew tells the story like this. But look at how Matthew tells the story. Lots of things never included in your typical Christmas pageant. Matthew's telling of the Christmas story has a lot of blood in it. Matthew's telling of the Christmas story has a lot of drama, a a lot of fear, a lot of people running from place to place. Uh, It has Joseph, the man who I told you never has a good night's sleep in his life. Poor Joseph is always somehow, whenever he's mentioned in Scripture, he is somehow haunted or or blessed by some horrible dream. That's Joseph. Whole life now because God is with him. It's the strangest thing. It seems like the moment that God comes to be with us, all hell breaks loose. Why does it seem that way? When you read the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus is born, it looks like all hell breaks loose. Because it does. Do you understand that? It's because it does. All hell breaks loose. Because God is at work. It's a fundamental principle of the spiritual life. And you really need to understand this. It might help you make sense of your own struggles in your spiritual life. It's a simple principle that whenever God is at work, the devil will be at work also. The moment God steps in and begins to move and do something, the moment God begins to fulfill all of his promises, the minute God moves into your life to bless you, the devil then stands in line to oppose God's blessing. It's what the devil does. It is the work of evil in the world. The moment the word begins to travel that the Christ child is born, all of the powers that be begin to line up to destroy him. Do not be surprised by this and do not be afraid of this. It is the most fundamental principle. The devil opposes God. He is not more powerful. He can never defeat him, but he can do a lot of damage in the world. And that's exactly what you see in Matthew chapter 2. Whenever God is at work, evil will be at work as well. Always, always. Think about your own life. Uh, in this coming week, it's, 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 we're coming up on New Year's Day and New Year's Eve, and many of us will make New Year's resolutions. And as believers, we will make resolutions typically that have to do with our spiritual lives. You'll be wanting to, to to lay aside some of your sinful habits. You'll be wanting to be a better man, to be a better wife, a better husband. You may make a promise to read your Bible more, to be more faithful in your prayers. You're just like me. We all want to do better. We want to follow more closely to the Lord. And perhaps in the coming week, you'll make some decisions to do exactly that. But I'm just telling you what to expect. The moment you decide to walk closer to the Lord, you just get ready. At that very moment, the devil begins to pull you away from the Lord. It's just how he works. Talk to anybody who's ever tried to follow the Lord, anybody who's ever wanted to have God's blessing in their lives, the very moment you begin to make positive changes by the power of the Lord, that very moment will be the moment when all hell breaks loose for you. Everything will seem to go wrong. The wheels will fall off of your life. It's just what happens. Don't be surprised by it. Because whenever God is at work, the devil is gonna come and be at work also, You can see it plainly in Matthew chapter 2. So what are we supposed to do? How do we live our lives if this is what we must always expect? Somehow to be caught in this battle between God and the evil one. Somehow always to be trying to please God, to follow him, but always to be opposed. What are we supposed to do? How do we live if this is the way life is going to be on the day after Christmas? I think if you learn the lesson from Matthew chapter 2, it's simple. Because honestly, this this is how the world is. But even in the midst of a world like this, you and I still have a very, very simple task. We simply must follow him. We follow. In Matthew chapter 2, for all of the blood, for all of the fear... What you have is person after person who is on the move, person after person who is just doing whatever they can do to follow God, to follow his direction in their life. And honestly, that part of the story is so beautiful. They follow. As Matthew, this chapter, unfolds, it's, of course, the wise men first who are are following. Now, who are the wise men? What do you know about them? Somebody answer me. What do you know about the wise men? Often in our Christmas plays, we portray them as kings. We sing the song, We Three Kings. Often in the Christmas play, we have the wise men show up right there in the same manger as the shepherds and the angels. But you know by reading Matthew chapter 2, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. Now when Jesus is born, an amazing sign appears in the heavens. Now what is the sign? What is it? It's a star, the star of Bethlehem, as they say. Now, the amazing thing is, even though I've seen this show at the planetarium, and maybe you've seen it too, we really don't know what the star of Bethlehem is. It's a very strange sign in the heavens because it moves. It's probably not your typical star because it's moving, and they're following it. And it appears in the heavens, apparently, for something like two years. And we don't know if other people see it. Honestly, it's part of the mystery of Scripture. Nobody else seems to see it. Herod desperately wants to go find the Christ child for himself, but apparently he either doesn't see the star or he's too dumb to go out and look for it. It is a sign that the wise men see. And so apparently what what we seem to conclude from all of this is that the wise men are probably some sort of Persian, ancient Eastern astrologers These seem to be men who follow the signs of the heavens and study the signs in the heavens. And when Jesus is born, they notice a new sign in the heavens. They notice a star, something, a bright light that moves and guides them and they follow it. Now, I've got to ask you, why in the world would they follow that? That They have some, some inkling that it's going to lead them to something great. They have some inkling that perhaps it's a sign that a king is born. But why do they go? You see, that's the thing about following. The only people who follow are those who recognize that they have some great need. That's why you and I typically don't make very good followers. I'm not a good follower. I argue with my GPS. How many of you do that? Do you talk back? Yeah. Why do you do that? She's not a real lady. You know that? She's not real. It's just a voice. But your GPS actually has pretty good coordinates, a pretty good sense of where it is. Your GPS does not get lost. And yet, you talk back to it. You argue with it. You eventually just turn it off and drive around and around and around because you would rather do that than listen I'm just like that. You're the same way as I. It's very difficult to follow. Because honestly, the only ones who follow are those who feel needy. You're going to go back to high school, of course. And high school is an amazing kind of place. Because there you have people who are just really cool, automatically cool. And then you have people who we say that they just want to be cool. They're wannabes. And you have those people that just follow every trend. If all of a sudden everybody's wearing a a certain kind of blue jeans, a certain brand, then they've got to get that kind of jeans. If somebody goes out and gets a new jacket, then the next day they're going to get that jacket. They just want to be like everybody else. And typically we look at those people and think there's something wrong with them. Why would you just imitate other people? Why would you just go along trying to look like, talk like, be like others? Most of us really rather admire the ones who don't follow but lead. And we want to be leaders. What's it take to follow, though? It takes a recognition that that you have a need, that you have some need that you're never going to fulfill on your own. You're lost, and you're never going to find your way on your own. You need direction. The only thing that will ever make a follower out of a person like me and a person like you is that we have to understand that we have some great need. And when we understand our need, we follow So come back to the scripture with me. These are wealthy astrologers, we'll say, from from the east, from Persia. What is it that they need? Apparently not wealth, apparently not wisdom. What is it that they need? Honestly, they say it very clearly in the scripture. What do they say? Verse 2, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we really want to get our picture on the Christmas card. What does it say? What is their great need? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship. Of all things, these men understand their need for worship. It's it's a need to fall down in front of something greater than yourself. it's, It's a need a real need to feel very, very small in the presence of something very, very great. It's a genuine need. And these men who seem to have everything would follow a sign in the heavens for two years. Two years they've been traveling. Two years. That's why we know that they really never made it that night with the shepherds. They never really make it to the manger. Do you notice it by the time they get to Bethlehem? Mary, Joseph, and the baby are living in a house yeah that they have a house they bought a house in Bethlehem that part's not even in the story but we know that this is what happened they've been in Bethlehem two years they stayed in Bethlehem two years and the wise men traveling two years they come to worship I appreciate that a lot of you this morning have come out in the snow you you risked some things to get here this morning that's great I hope you're here because you understand your need for worship I hope that you're here. I hope that you live your whole life with that awareness of the need that you have to bow down in front of someone greater than yourselves. I hope that you understand your need for direction in life because honestly, you don't know where you're going honestly you don't even know where you're supposed to be headed it is not in you you're lost in the world we are all lost in the world in desperate need of direction in desperate need of one to lead us and Christ is the only one who sees the way to lead us you need to worship you need to know him you need to find him you need to learn to follow him and you'll never follow him until you understand how desperately you need him they follow Because they have this need for worship. I I, I love that. And they follow a star. I love that. They follow a star. But as I said, I don't know if other people see the star. Nobody else is talking about a star in the heavens. The wise men, they see the star. Now, the interesting thing is other people made their way to find Jesus. We know the shepherds went the very night he was born. But the angel did not say, look, follow a star. It's going to be easy. It's going to look like every Christmas card you've ever seen, shepherds. Just go look for the manger with the big star over it. The angels didn't say that. The star was not the sign for the shepherds. The star was not what led the shepherds. What did the shepherds look for? What was their sign? Do you remember? You will find, this will be a sign to you, the angel said. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a... Manger, what's a manger? It's a feeding trough. What are shepherds? Yeah, sheep herders, yeah. They are guys who take care of animals, you understand? They take care of animals, and so a manger, a feeding trough, is sort of something they know. They know feeding troughs really, really well. Isn't it interesting that the sign for the shepherds is something that they would know? It's something that comes right out of their world. It's something that has to do with animals. It's a feeding trough. The sign for the Persian astrologers, the wise men, is not a feeding trough. The sign for them is a star, a sign in the heavens, something they would see, something they would understand, something they would follow. That's the way God leads them. Do you see the pattern here? God wants us to follow him, and God will always direct you and always lead you, and he will always lead you in a way you can understand, in a way you can follow. Now, for Joseph, God is always leading Joseph around. How does God lead Joseph? Always in a dream. I don't know why, except that this seems to be what Joseph understands. And it seems to be the way that Joseph responds to God. Every time God reaches out to Joseph, he does it in a dream. And when Joseph wakes up, he always obeys what God says in his dreams. For Joseph, it's dreams. I don't know how God wants to lead you, but I'm telling you, it probably won't always be the way God leads everybody else. He'll lead you along the way that you can understand, with signs that you can follow. I'm guessing for some of you, he'll lead you along the way with a little Debbie cake. I don't know. He'll lead you with an with an iPod. I don't know. But he will lead you along a path that you can know, with signs that you can see, It may not be the way God speaks to everybody else. It may not be what other people would understand, but he will speak to you in the language you know. He will lead you with signs you can see. If you will follow him, he will always direct you, always direct your path, always. But it's a whole life of following. Please listen to this part. It's a whole life of following. It does not do to listen to God only one time. It doesn't do to go to youth camp one time when you're a 15 year old kid and you get God's will for your life and then you're going to live your whole life out of that one experience at camp when you're 15. You're crazy. It does not work that way. You can't just have a spiritual experience sometime back in your early years of marriage when you went to that church in the other town and you just loved that preacher and you sang in the choir and you just loved the music there and you loved that church and you're still trying to live your whole life out of what God gave you back there. You've got to understand that's not how it works. It's a whole life of following The wise men follow the star to Bethlehem all the way to the house, but then they're led home a different way. Do you understand that? They have to go home a totally different route. You can't just listen for God one time to speak to you, and you can't imagine that you'll memorize his plan and then follow it till the day you die. Until the day you die, you've got to listen for his voice. You've got to watch for the signs. You've got to follow him. What God did for you yesterday may not be what he wants to do for you today. The path he led you down in years past, I guarantee, will not be the path he's going to lead you down in the years forward. God is a God of freedom and a God of wisdom, and he sees what you do not see, and you've got to follow him. You will never become so wise or so spiritually mature that you no longer need to listen for his voice and follow His leadership, watching for the signs. You'll never be done following him. And sometimes he's going to lead you places you don't want to go. Sometimes he's going to lead you places you don't want to go. Right after Christmas, I guess you could say. Joseph gets another dream, living in Bethlehem now, settled with uh, Mary and the baby, and another dream that says, you've got to go. You've got to get up. You've got to move tonight, because there are those who want to kill your son. Go to Egypt. (laughs) Egypt. I mean, what's wrong with Logan County? I I mean, why Egypt? Egypt. This is a long journey, and Egypt is the last place that he wants to go. I mean, you know about Egypt? You know what Egypt represents in the Jewish mind? You know what Joseph begins to think about and feel when he hears about Egypt? I mean, Egypt is the place of slavery, Egypt is the place where God's people cried out because they wanted God to take them out of Egypt. And now the angel in the dream says to Joseph, you've got to go to Egypt. You're going to Egypt. That's the last place in the world he wants to go. Egypt is the place of suffering. Egypt is the place of of bondage. Egypt is a place of bitterness and, and crying out and emptiness. And this is the place where where Joseph's gotta go. And so he goes. Following the story, he goes, and while he's gone, Herod comes and kills every single baby boy in the whole town of Bethlehem. Every baby boy. It's just amazing how the whole story seems to fall apart and the holy family has to go to has to go to Egypt. Why? Why is that a part of this story? I mean, I like Bethlehem. I love Bethlehem. We sang it this morning, come to Bethlehem and see, man. We love Bethlehem. Bethlehem, is, it's the name that literally means house of bread. It's, it's a beautiful little village. It's a quiet place with stars and shepherds and angels and halos and straw. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful place. Why can't we just keep the baby here in Bethlehem because that's not the plan. That's not the way it's going to go, Joseph. You're going to go with the baby to, to Egypt. Why? Why Egypt? Because if he's going to be God with us, he's going to have to go through Egypt. Do you understand what I'm telling you? If he's going to be my savior, if he's going to be your savior, if he's going to be the savior of all the people... He can't do it just from one silent night in Bethlehem. He's going to have to go through Egypt because our lives frequently take a turn through Egypt. You, You know this, don't you? You know that there is a lady who in 1961 was a girl. And on Christmas Eve, she couldn't sleep. And so she called for her mama and her mama came in her room and brought a glass of warm milk. Warm milk, yuck. Warm milk. And her mother sat by her bed, and the little girl drank her warm milk, and she got sleepy. And then her mother took her fingers and kind of kind of scratched and tickled her back until she fell asleep, and her mama was singing Christmas carols. That was 1961. And all of these years later, this woman who's now a grown woman still thinks about that on Christmas Eve, thinks about the night her mama brought her warm milk and tickled her back until she fell asleep. But but this year, this year, that grown woman, her, her mother is in a nursing home and she took supper to her mother on Christmas Eve and her mother didn't even know who she was. You see, that woman... Spending Christmas in Egypt. Know what I'm saying? A couple of Sundays ago, there was a little boy who rode the church van to church because his parents don't go to church. His parents don't do anything, to be honest. They drink, and mom stays on Facebook. That they have no time for their little boy. The little boy went to Sunday school. And in Sunday school, the teachers had them string popcorn and beads in a little string for Christmas. And the teacher told all the kids to go home and put the little string on their tree. Tell mom and dad to put this on the tree. And the little boy didn't say a word in church that day. But he knew good and well he had no tree at home. He had never had a Christmas tree. I mean, mom and dad at his house are never going to put up a Christmas tree. Do you understand that? Never going to do it. And so that little boy went home and he, he hung that string of popcorn and beads in his room. Just in his room. And he will spend not just Christmas, but probably most of his childhood in Egypt. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't know that Jesus did the same thing, but he'll spend his whole childhood in Egypt. Last week you went to the grocery store and you were pushing your cart through the line and the line was long so you didn't really notice the man behind you. You had your cart filled with food. You had the turkey and you had marshmallows for the yams and you had every kind of junk food because you knew you'd probably be at home a lot. Every kind of chip and junk and and soft drinks man you had your cart loaded over and you were just wanting to get out and get home. So you didn't see the man behind you. All he had was, was an armload. He had a box of spaghetti, and he had a jar of sauce and a can of pizzas. That's all he had. Now, you didn't see him, and you didn't think about him. And honestly, that, that's okay. Everybody understands how you missed him. But But the thing is, you had all of that for your family. And that's all he had for his family. It was going to be spaghetti for them for Christmas. And honestly, the kids were going to love the spaghetti. He knew that. His kids would love spaghetti. And he and his wife were going to eat the peaches after the kids went to bed. But he looked at your cart. And it's not that he was jealous. He was just wishing for all the world he could take home to his family what you were taking home to your family. You see, he lives in Egypt. He's in your neighborhood, but he still lives in that place of of emptiness and and suffering and questions and, and bondage. And none of us ever ever want to end up in that place, but we don't really get to choose. You see, our lives frequently take a turn through Egypt. And that's why it's so important to understand in this story that that Jesus's life took a turn through Egypt. You don't ever want to miss this part. You don't ever want to miss the part that, that one night in Bethlehem, God woke Joseph up in the middle of his sleep to say, you're going to get up and you're going to take this family and you're going to go to, to Egypt, the, the place of suffering, the, the place of bitterness, the, the place of bondage. You're going to go there and you're going to stay there a while. Don't ever miss that part of the story because you're going to wind up in Egypt in your own life and you need to know that Jesus is there. You need to know that Jesus has been there too. You need to know that Jesus is there with you. Nobody ever goes to Egypt and Jesus not knows that they're there and Jesus not know what it's like. You're never going to be there without his presence. But even that is not all of it. Please understand, that is not all the comfort that there is for us. Not simply the knowledge that Jesus has been there or even that Jesus is there with us now. Do you understand what the scripture says? Don't miss this. Verse 15. They stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son, say the word, out, out of Egypt. Do you understand? He goes there, not just so that he knows what it's like. It's not just that you get stuck in Egypt sometimes and you know that Jesus is there with you. That's not the full part of it. That's good, but that's not the full part of it. What you've got to know is that he's been there so that he can bring you out. He went there so that he could bring you out. It's not just that he's going to be there with you. He is. He's always with you. He'll never leave you. You'll never know a moment outside of his arms if you believe. But you've got to understand, it's not just that he goes to Egypt so that he knows what it's like. He goes there so that he can bring you out. He's going to bring you out. I don't know what Christmas kicks up for you. Probably all kinds of emotions. If that's true, then understand, that's the way it's always been. The first Christmas was like that. There was all kinds of joy wrapped up with all kinds of sorrow. There's all kinds of light somehow shining in the midst of all depths of darkness. All kinds of music sung in the midst of all kinds of weeping. It's all mixed up together. Maybe for you today, maybe this Christmas for you, it's it's all sort of mixed up together. There's joy, and there's still pain. There's there's happiness, and and there's still sadness. If if that's true for you, then, then just understand, it's our lives. We don't really get to live our whole life in Bethlehem. We actually don't live our whole life in Egypt either, that's good news, but the fact is we... Live our lives somewhere in between the two. And in between the two, God is with us, always with us, and always speaking and always leading us, which means we've always got to follow him, always following him. Sometimes he will take us places that we don't want to go, but he takes us there with the promise that he will also bring us out. <laughs> He'll always Bring us out. And even if some moments of our lives it seems like sorrow will swallow up our heart, you've got to understand that this child born, God with us, he brings joy. Always brings joy. And so if joy is found in him and he is with us, then joy will never be far away. Even if sometimes we spend Christmas in Egypt, joy is never far away. Pray with me. Oh, Jesus, thank you. You did not have to come. You never had to come. You came for us it was about us amazing oh god today some of us find our hearts so heavy we want to sing the carols we want to feel the joy lord but it's so difficult lord i just simply pray that you would bring us out of the place where we are even if it's only for a moment even if it's only in this moment of worship lord remind us that joy has still come near to us because christ is near to us Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, until you finally come and finish this whole business, Lord, we know that there will never be a day when we don't know tears until you wipe away all of our tears. But at the same time, Lord, even in the midst of tears, we will never know a moment when you cannot bring us joy. If only, Lord, we will allow you to guide us and lead us and direct us and show us the path. God, truly, we don't always know where to go. Lord, truly, we don't always follow very well. Lord, I pray that today we will all recognize our need for you, our need for direction, our need, Lord, for joy, our need, Lord, to be close to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, draw us close to you, that even in the midst of all of these emotions, we can still understand the joy you bring. Bring us joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you an opportunity to, to respond. The altar is open if you wish to come and pray. If you want to pray in your seat, that's fine too. The Lord is with you. I just invite you to stand now and sing praises to him and allow him to fill your heart with joy. Allow him uh, to lead you into joy. As we stand, let's sing together. Brother Andrew, lead us. Let's sing hymn number 87. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.
1: She The sounding joy Repeat, repeat The sounding joy No more let sins And sorrows grow Nor thorns invest the ground He comes to make His blessings flow For as the curse is found the curse is found for as for as the curse is found, he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, wonders of his love.
0: Take your seats, everyone. Merry Christmas.